0: Next chat is brought to you by Walters. While the national season may be winding down, fall sports are just around the corner. Are you looking for a place to host your fantasy football draft with over 30 TVs, free Wi-Fi and buckets of wings and beers? There's no better place to host your draft party than Walters.
1: With plenty of room indoors or outside on the covered patio, contact Brett at waltersdc.com to reserve your space today.
2: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Gray sets. Here's the pitch. Breaking ball hit high and deep to right. Soto back and watching. This is going, going and gone. Goodbye into the Nationals bullpen, lands on the pitcher's bounds as Bryce Harper gets a hold of a curve ball from Josiah Gray. Here's the pitch. Swing a high fly ball, deep left field. Hernandez going back toward the warning track, near the wall, reaches out, leaves, can't make the catch. It's off the wall. He doesn't know where it is. It's Karam toward the foul line. This is going to clear the bases. Torres may try for an inside the park. No, he'll stop at third with a triple. Three runs score. And the Phillies clear the bases and lead 6-2. to two. Ruiz looking for his first hit in a Nationals uniform. The pitch. Swing, he's jammed. It's a fly ball, shallow center. Herrera coming in, still coming, and drops in front of him. A base hit, gets behind him. But it's backed up by the left fielder, Bonifacio. And so Yaniel Hernandez to second will stop there. It's a blue pop off the trademark, dropping in for Caban Ruiz. That's his first hit in a Nationals uniform.
0: And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, August 31st, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of Massinsports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. There was such hope. There was such excitement for Nationals Phillies game one at Nationals Park on Monday night. The Major League debut, at least for the Nats, of their top catching prospect, their top prospect overall, K.Bert Ruiz. Josiah Gray was pitching. We had a very interesting matchup from a standpoint of Zach Wheeler starting for the Phillies. Bryce Harper, of course, back at Nats Park. And the night, much like this Nats season, ended up being quite the dud as Ruiz was okay, but didn't do anything really memorable. Josiah Gray got rocked for the first time in six starts as a Nat. Alcides Escobar got hurt. Uh, Other than that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? 7-4 loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park. Uh, Monday night. Mark, I guess we should have known in this season that this night was going to go this way.
1: Yeah, it was um, too many things needed to go right. And what has gone right this year? So little. So the odds of that all actually coming together were pretty slim. But I mean, even by those standards, even by 2021 national standards, this was pretty bad because by the end of the first inning, it was already a huge disappointment. You have Josiah Gray giving up a two-run homer to Bryce Harper, just a moonshot to right field, a three-run inning. So he's already, you know it's already going to be the worst start of his Nationals tenure. And then Ruiz comes up with the bases loaded in the first inning and a chance to make a big first impression and pops out. And so there's a huge just like letting the air out of the balloon.
3: The pitch, swinging a fly ball on the infield. It's playable. Third baseman Torres called off by the shortstop, Galvis, and he makes the catch for the out as Ruiz got jammed on a
1: 97-mile-an-hour fastball. And that first inning took so long, you just kind of felt like, oh boy, we're in for a long night, and it absolutely turned out that way. Unfortunate, but look, this was the first of what should be many times that Josiah Gray and Caber Ruiz are the starting battery for the Washington Nationals. Chances are, when it's all said and done, we might vaguely remember their first time together but we probably won't remember the details about it. And that's fine because there's not much to remember from this one.
0: Yeah, this wasn't June 8th, 2010, the Strasbourg debut. That's okay. It's not about the debut. It's about everything that follows the debut. The beginning of the game, to your point, was brutal. I mean, those first two innings felt like they took two and a half hours. Game ended up going three hours, 37 minutes. It could have gone much longer. I I thought the final game time was going to be crossing that four-hour plateau. Did not. So from that standpoint, things picked up a bit. But this was another one of these, you know, Nationals-Phillies marathons. We've seen a bunch of them already this season. And look, the Phillies have a good lineup. Josiah Gray had a tough time with it. Some bad defense behind him as well. We'll get to that. But the headline item for sure is that Nats major league debut of K. ruiz So the Nationals making the call-up official on Monday, recalling him from AAA Rochester. Corresponding roster move was, in fact, the optioning of catcher Tres Pereira to Rochester. I think most people suspected that. That's what ended up happening. Davey Martinez, by the way, in his pregame presser, I thought this was interesting, said to you guys, Riley Adams is going to be getting some reps at first base. It's not like his primary position, but I thought that kind of stood out. So they want to get Riley some at-bats. I thought that was good news.
4: We're going to work with him at first base a little bit, but you know, he will catch once or twice a week for sure. I actually want him to play some, I learned how to play a different position, which is probably be first base.
0: And then came the actual game and uh, k Burke goes 0-3 to begin his night. Does then get a hit, so it's not a total over. It was a one-out bloop single to shallow center field in the bottom of the eighth inning. I mean, I don't know that there's a lot to sink our teeth into in terms of what he did, but what stood out to you watching him in this game number one for the Nats at the Major League level?
1: There really wasn't. They were kind of nondescript at bats. They, they weren't bad at bats, you know, nothing like that. It wasn't like he was swinging at terrible pitches or, you know, got into a situation and, and the, look too, the moment was too big for him. He just got under a few pitches. He popped it up. That base is loaded in the first inning. You were kind of thinking, oh boy, here this could be some kind of storybook debut. And as soon as he popped it up, it's like, oh, oh well. On that. When he hit the ball hard in third inning, line drive to left, another pop-up. All of those outs against Wheeler were off 97 mile-an-hour fastballs. So we didn't really get to see him on the breaking ball a whole lot. I'm glad he got that hit in the eighth, the little bloop single. Wasn't much, but that's something. When he takes the field again on Tuesday night, he's not in the back of his mind going to be saying, oh, I'm still looking for my first hit, anything like that. So I, I think to take a little pressure off. He probably was feeling it a little bit. His wife and um, and baby were in the stands, and now they had been with him in Rochester for the last month, but this is the first time they'd been to see him in a big league game. So there's a little added pressure for that. Obviously, the uh, excitement of catching his you know former teammate with the Dodgers in uh, Josiah Gray. So I... There was probably a little more pressure on him than he would have preferred. I don't think it affected him necessarily, but my guess is we're going to see more from him on Tuesday and Wednesday as the spotlight comes off a little bit and he's just another guy in the lineup.
0: With him coming up with the bases loaded, it was hard not to think about what he did in his very first major league plate appearance. For those who don't know, he homered in his first major league plate appearance with the Dodgers.
4: He hits one deep down the right field line, and Ruiz hits it out of here in his first career Major League at bat. A home run for Cabert Ruiz.
0: You know, you have that going through your mind of, is this going to be another one of these uh, debuts with the team at the Major League level? Unfortunately, that was not the case. Now, in terms of what Davey had to say prior to the game, because in some ways that was more interesting than the actual game. So what is the schedule in terms of Ruiz, how often do you think he will be the starting catcher? I mean, it seems like this is kind of now his spot. Um, is that in fact the case that he'll be the Nets' primary catcher moving forward?
1: Yes, this is not going to be a shared position. It is he is the starter, the the true starter, four or five times a week, and Riley Adams will get one or two starts a week. So that's significant. And that's different, obviously, from what we've seen, and because of that, and knowing that's going to be the case, they are going to have Adams start working at first base now. We may not see him in a game right away. It may take a little while because he's never really done it before. He, he, I looked it up. He had, I think, three innings in the minors there and then one other game in college at first base. So he's got some work to do there. But it is something they want to look at. Davey was quick to point out that that is – like, his primary position is catcher. They're not moving him away from that. They want him to continue to focus on being a catcher, but they also look at this as an opportunity for there could be times when maybe we need you during the course of a game where it could open the door to other possibilities that wouldn't be there otherwise. You know, keep an eye out for that. Maybe before the end of the season, we'll actually see him play in a game at first base, but he's going to be the backup catcher, start one, two a week, and Trace Pereira is going to start a lot now at triple A. And I wasn't surprised by that move. I know you guys talked about it yesterday and and sort of predicted that. that. That was my guess. The only thing I thought was, and it ties in with Adams, was if they really were serious about Adams becoming a first baseman, maybe they would send him down to let him work on that at AAA and have Barrera be the backup here. But like I said, they're really viewing that as an alternative, that he is still a catcher. They want him to be a catcher first. And so I think they'd rather see him do that at the big league level.
0: I was thinking when Adams came up as a pinch hitter in the bottom of the ninth on Monday night, and he ended up striking out with runners on first and second, nobody out, and that's down seven to four, but it's like wouldn't it be such a an appropriate sort of contrarian development for the story of this game to end up being Riley Adams and not Kabert Ruiz, <laughs> like just in terms of how the game plays out, and of course, that's not what happened. I thought it was interesting too, during Davy's pregame press where he talked about how kbert Ruiz speaks English and he works hard on his English. And, you know, this isn't one of these things of you have to assimilate to our country. This is one of these things of, you know, if you are a Spanish speaking player and you come to play in the majors and you need to communicate with English speaking players, it's important that you can communicate with them. And Davey, and I didn't realize he does this, but I think this is so smart. He will make guys in that predicament talk to him in English, and then he'll talk to them in Spanish. Davy speaks Spanish, as most people listening know, and Davy says he does that to work on his Spanish. But I think that's a really smart thing, and I think there's a lot of value in that. And one of the things that I've always respected about Juan Soto is that he has worked on his English. In fact, if I remember correctly, when he went through that false coronavirus positive test last year, he did a press conference on his own in English. And it actually reminded me of Alex Ovechkin. When Ovechkin came to this country, he could barely speak English, and he worked at it. He didn't do the thing some guys do, which is they don't take the time to learn English. They'll maybe do the Sammy Sosa thing, or they'll pretend they don't know English, even though they maybe know a little bit more. But Ovi worked on it. Soto has worked on it. And it sure seems like K. Ruiz has worked on it. And I give him a lot of credit for that.
1: Yeah. And a couple points here. Number one, I thought, just based on talking to him today, he is further along today than Juan Soto was as a rookie in 2018. K-Bear now is probably comparable to where Soto was in 2019, his second year. So that's a great testament to him. Of how far he's come already and how comfortable he is. I mean, he did the whole press conference in English. They had Octavio Martinez, a translator there in case he needed help with anything, but he did it all in English pregame and postgame. And I give him so much credit for that. It's not an easy thing to do. But I think another point here, David didn't specifically say this, but I, I, you know, it occurs to me, if you're going to be a catcher in the big leagues, you have to communicate with your pitchers. And yeah, if it's a Spanish speaking pitcher, of course you can talk to him in Spanish, but if they're not, you have to be able to easily convey what it is you're trying to get across with them and understand each other. And so I do think it is important for uh, native Spanish speakers to be able to communicate with pitchers and good for him for already having worked on that. It's a small taste. We haven't seen had a chance to really get to know him at all, but like Josiah Gray, you can't help but be a little impressed with him, not as a player, but as a person and the maturity as a 23-year-old and and everything that sort of surrounds, you know, the whole package of who Caber Ruiz is.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some of that has to do with the Dodgers. They're so good at developing players. I don't think it's a coincidence that both Gray and Ruiz, two Dodgers prospects, are of that mold, of they're mature and they seem kind of wise beyond their years. I mean, that's a credit to them for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers had something to do with that as well. (music)
4: Hey, NatChat listeners, Tim Schovers, producer of this podcast, here. If you can indulge us for just one second, the five star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and other platforms, oddly enough, through the back end business of podcasting are really important. So if you could do us a favor, just go on, give us a review, give us a rating. Hopefully, it's uh, at the high end of the spectrum, would be really appreciated. And thanks for all the support throughout the season when it comes to listening and interacting with us and downloading and reviewing. All of that is extremely appreciated as I speak on behalf of Mark and Al. Now back to the show here on Nat's Chat Podcast. <music>
2: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply. Need to hire you need indeed.
0: Open
3: stance deep in the box, the pitch swing a chopping ground ball wide at first bell gets to it. He's going to throw it second. They'll get it out there and that's all they'll get. No chance for the runner at first crossing the plate is McCutcheon with run number three. The Nationals get the second out of the inning, 3-6 to six with a force play. Galvis will take over as the runner at first. He picks up his first RBI in a Phillies uniform, and it's now the Phillies' three and the Nationals' nothing.
0: So with Josiah Gray, he had been so impressive over his first five starts as in that. You knew at some point he was going to have a shaky outing, and sure enough, that ended up being this outing on Monday night. Six runs in four innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, a triple, and five singles. He issued three walks, did have... Four strikeouts, threw 54 strikes versus 29 balls on 83 pitches. And things weren't good from the get go. Three runs in the top of the first, he gave up a leadoff infield single to Dubal Herrera on an 0 2 pitch. Then gave up a one out, two run homer by Bryce Harper, who has torched the Nats this season. The homer going to right field, the homer happening despite Bryce having been down to the count at 1.12. This was home run number eight given up by Josiah Gray as an at, but the first one that was a non solo homer. Then Gray issued a one-out five-pitch walk of Andrew McCutcheon. Then Gray gave up a one-out single to Brad Miller on an 0-2 pitch. And then Gray got a grounder from Freddie Galvis for a force out that scored a run. Then came the top of the third, three runs in that inning. And this was tough to watch, although this also you can't just pin on the bad defensive moment. So Gray gives up a leadoff first pitch single to Bryce Harper, issues a one-out five-pitch walk of Miller, issues a one-out five-pitch walk of Galvis. And then comes a screw up by Yadiel Hernandez on what was not an easy play but a play that I think a better defensive left fielder will make. It ends up being a one-out, bases-loaded, three-run triple by Ronald Torres on a one-two pitch. Yadier was playing in shallow left, and he ended up failing in an attempted running and backhanded catch of the ball. And then he couldn't find the baseball off it bouncing toward the left field line. It looked for a moment like this might be an inside-the-park grand slam. Thankfully, it was not. I mean, Gray did give up a shot to deep left, that's true but I feel like a better left fielder probably makes a better play, maybe even makes that catch. But still, it was not a good outing for Gray. He did end on a relative high note, struck out Bryce on three pitches. That was good to see. But overall, we did not see the Josiah Gray we saw over those first five starts.
1: Yeah, so let's start with the Yadiel play, and then we'll get to Gray here. He had a long way to run, obviously, but he sort of drifted to the wall instead of finding the base of the wall and getting himself in position. The ball didn't hit that high up the wall. It's not like he needed to leap for it or anything. So he needed to get there faster. So that's, you know, the first problem is not being there in good position. But the second problem is letting the ball get away from him the way that he did. By not being there in time, it's not just that he didn't make the catch. It's one thing if you miss the catch, but you get the ball immediately, and maybe it's a double at worst. It was the fact that now the ball caromed all the way back, and it took him forever to get to it. And I agree. It, there's a moment that you're thinking, oh, my God, we're, this going to be inside the Park Grand Slam. And I think Torres, as he was rounding third, he was expecting it, and he had to slam on the brakes, when the Phillies' third base coach uh, put up the stop sign. Not a great play, and look, Yadiel has done a nice job at the plate. I think we all have been impressed with that, but let's be honest here. There's a reason that they've kind of been reluctant all along to play him in the field that much, and we're seeing it. He has not been a very good defensive left fielder. He is below average for a big leaguer. And while you say, hey, left field, it's an offensive position, ultimately, if you're going to stick up here, you got to be able to make more plays than that. And, you know, that could... Hurt him in the long run for his chances of playing consistently uh, in the big leagues. Now, as far as Josiah Gray goes, I think what struck me was I mean, the walks, first of all, which is very out of character for him to do that. The home runs, yes, we've seen that happen. But his pace was so slow and so deliberate. He just never looked comfortable out there. And he admitted, especially the first couple innings, he wasn't on the same page as Ruiz. They had to you know, step off the mound, do the signs again. No rhythm at all. And when he's been at his best, we've seen him work quickly, throw strikes, all that kind of stuff. And he had none of that in this game. And I don't know if that's from working with Ruiz. I don't know if that's, you know, having to pitch with runners on base all night. But whatever the case was, he just never looked in sync. And that was really, to me, a stark departure from what we've seen from him in his first five outings.
0: Yeah, he did not look like the same guy. Phillies are a good-hitting team, so this was a challenge. But we've seen him do well against good-hitting teams. So it's not like all of a sudden it's the step-up in competition that doomed Josiah Gray. Yadiel Hernandez came into games on Monday night, minus five defensive runs saved on the season. So the numbers do back up what the eye test will tell you, which is he's not a great defensive left fielder I mean I was thinking in that moment of all right I mean the, you know Davey's still doing this thing of it's either Lane Thomas or Victor Robles it doesn't seem like it can be both very often so if you're going to do that you're going to sacrifice defense now Yadiel has hit well this year that's true but that was a tough spot there do you think there's value in how the outing ended for Josiah I mean I know it's only one inning but he, he's able to induce a double play for the first two outs again you know fields his position pretty well and strikes out Bryce on three pitches I mean I'm not a big believer in like momentum from that inning into his next start, but at least like he didn't end the outing getting yanked in an inning in which he got shelled. Like he exited the outing off an inning in which he actually did pretty well.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it was a little bit significant for him to do that. You know, he was close. They were one batter away from pinch hitting for him in the bottom of the third. So in a way, maybe it's better for him that they didn't extend the inning because he got to come back out and pitch. And it was a nice double play that he started. He is a good fielder. He's got a good arm, former shortstop, so that was good. And I thought the Bryce at bat was important because the strikeout was on the exact same pitch that he gave up the home run on. And the difference was he actually buried this curveball outside of the strike zone and and Bryce swung over it whereas in the first inning he left it still you know right I mean it's on the corner but it is in a place where Bryce Harper down and in is going to be able to hit it and that's not where he wanted it so he was able to come back you know three innings later face the same hitter have a two strike count throw the same pitch and this time execute it so I do think that's important in the bigger picture for him to see that he can do that um you know let him leave on on a little bit more of a positive note so yeah, grand scheme doesn't mean that much, but I, I think it helped at least walk away with a little better taste in his mouth.
0: Well, the other thing that happened in this Nats 7-4 loss to the Phillies at Nats Park on Monday night is Alcides Escobar getting hurt.
3: Now swinging a foul off the foot of Escobar, the ball out toward third base as he goes down on his back. Rolling over on his right side. He's kind of writhing in pain now. Rolls over onto his knees.
0: Escobar was again the Nats starting shortstop and number two batter. But while batting with one out in the bottom of the first, he fouled a 2-1 pitch off his left knee and then left the game. And man, did he appear to be in pain. He was helped off the field by Davey Martinez and Paul Lassard who is the Nats director of athletic training. But Alcides could essentially put like no weight on that knee. Now after the game Davey did say that X-rays on Escobar came back negative. Uh, he has what is being labeled a contusion on the inside of his left knee. Davey said day to day, so we'll see what that ends up being, but man, when that first happened, I wasn't even sure if he fouled the pitch off the knee. I thought he might have like twisted his knee and torn his knee he really looked to be in pain. Like that was not something of like, you know, sometimes you see a guy foul a ball off his ankle or a shin or his foot and he's like, ow, you know, that hurts. This was like he crumbled and he couldn't put any weight on that knee as he was escorted off the field.
1: Yeah. And so if you noticed, it took a while for Davey and Paul Assard to get out there. And I think that's because the natural reaction for most managers and trainers when a guy fouls a ball off his foot or his leg is that, yeah, it stings, but usually don't suffer an injury because of it and just takes a minute to sort of shake it off. And then they realized, no, he's really writhing in pain on the ground. And so then they ran out there to check on him. And you could see the way they helped him off the field, that looked to me like it was pretty bad. Now, you watch the replay. He absolutely did hit the inside of his left knee with the foul ball. And so that's what it was. It wasn't, you know, like you said, a twisting of it or anything like that. Day-to-day, hopefully that's a good sign that it's nothing more serious than that. But I'll tell you, we've seen these things sometimes last a lot longer than that. I remember Anthony Rendon would do this foul ball off his knee or his ankle or whatever and think it would be a couple of days and ends up being weeks. And the Nats are in a really bad position here as far as having any other infielders. So, I mean, Adrian Sanchez was the only other one on the big league roster, and he replaced him for the rest of this game. There was a bizarre scenario in the ninth when they pinch hit for Sanchez with Riley Adams, where if the game had continued, they had no more infielders on the roster. And we were trying to ask Davey what they were going to do. He sort of talked his way around it. He was talking more about that maybe Adams or even Ryan Zerman might have played left field. Are you, are you trying
4: to say Zim was going to play second? It would have came down to how far we got down in the in our lineup. I mean, I, I don't say I could have probably put um, Zim in left field if Yadi hit. I could have put... Riley Adams at left field if, 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 if it would be out of here. I was driving Henry crazy is what I was doing.
1: <laughs> but he was kind of skipping over the part where somebody had to play the infield who's not normally an infielder. I think it would have been Lane Thomas, who has like a couple innings of experience at second base in his career. Davey's point was, hey, you know, first things first, you got to tie the game or even win it before you can consider that. But moving forward, you know, if Escobar isn't seriously injured and it doesn't go on the I.L., Can they afford to proceed without any backup infielders? They don't have any. And part of the other problem is there's hardly anybody on the 40-man roster either. The only infielder is Yasel Antuna, who is like a single-A prospect. He's not ready at all for this. The triple-A options are not great. There's Jake Knoll. He's not on the 40-man roster anymore. The one possibility, we haven't talked about this guy in a long time. Jordy Mercer is still on the 10-day IL with a calf strain, and he's been around. Everybody was serving as a sort of de facto bench coach there for a while. I have no idea how much he's been rehabbing, but is it possible that he's actually activated here soon? Remember, the roster can expand on Wednesday. Could we see Jordy Mercer and Alex Avila as the two September call-ups for this team <laughs> to have a third catcher and another infielder? I don't know. But like, if Escobar has to miss more than a day or two, like they're actually in a potentially bad situation here without any backup infielders, and I'm not sure what they're going to do.
0: I was going to say it might be two infielders as your call-ups because you could play Alex Avila at second base. But That's yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, as much as things have improved because of the sell-off, they're still not in a good place when it comes to positional depth, when it comes to positional versatility, that they may have to waste plate appearances and games down the stretch of this season doing something like giving Jordy Mercer at bats. I mean, you know, all due respect to him. He's not a part of this thing moving forward. They shouldn't have to play him again. There's a reason they parked him on the injured list. They don't want to play him again. That's another indictment of the state of their organization, even with the improvement over the last month, that they don't have options. That's a frightening thing that Osiris Escobar fouling a ball off his left knee could put you in that difficult of a spot. But obviously, that's the case. And, you know, there's also the thing of he's actually been one of the more valuable players over the last few weeks. So if you care about how they do in these games, you're losing like a an actual valuable piece of the machine uh, moving forward. If he's out for a while, we'll see. We don't know.
1: Yeah, I, it looked. <laughs> this is where we are, that on August 30th, the idea of Alcides Escobar being seriously hurt is a major problem for the Washington Nationals. This is where we are. But that's the situation. And it is. And. They are very thin at that position, as we saw two months ago. Now, when everything really fell apart,
0: be interesting to see if they give Luis Garcia any reps at shortstop. He still has some difficulty at second base. Had another error on Monday night.
1: Well, that was at shortstop because he did take over shortstop for this game.
0: Oh, that's right. You're right about that. That's right. So, even even more reason to maybe have him back at second base. Well, with some of the uh, potential building blocks for the ads, we did see some more good stuff. So, Lane Thomas again was the Nats starting center fielder and number one batter. This, right now, I mean, if you go by what has happened over the last week and a half, he is the every-game starting center fielder and number one batter. I counted it as seven of the Nats' last ten games now. Lane Thomas has been in that Victor Roble spot of starting center fielder and number one batter. And Lane was productive again on Monday night, one for four with an RBI single and a walk. He in the Nats two run second, had a one-out full count RBI single to left field. And uh, Lane Thomas with his life on the line, bottom of the ninth, drew an eight-pitch walk of Phillies closer Jose Alvarado, who has no idea when he throws a pitch where it's going. So you survive a plate appearance against Alvarado, you deserve a medal. You know, you should get like a t-shirt, like I survived facing Alvarado. Thomas should get one of those. Ryan Zimmerman should get one of those, too. He had a great pinch leadoff double on an 0-2 pitch off Alvarado in that bottom of the ninth. But Lane Thomas continues to do well. 49 plate appearances with the Nats. He has an 860 OPS and a good game for Carter Keyboom on Monday night. He'd been kind of quiet. He did not have a good series over the weekend. But Carter on Monday night, two for four, solo homer. And an infield single. The solo homer coming in the bottom of the third with two outs. Uh, a shot to left center of the Philly starter, Zach Wheeler. And another 400-foot homer for Key Boom. He's He's got sneaky power in terms of hitting some nice shots. Uh, this homer going a projected 400 feet per Statcast, But nice to see Carter homer and the uh, Lane Thomas experience continues.
1: That might have been the best that Carter's hit a single ball so far.
2: The
0: right-hander pitches
3: and a swing and a long drive left center field for Keeboom. Forget about it. This one long, long gone.
1: In the far right corner of the Phillies bullpen. Especially given who it was against, it was 98 miles an hour coming in. And he hit that ball with authority. And let's see more of that. That's the kind of stuff we need to see on a more consistent basis to make you believe that he really can be the answer at third base. We've seen some more glimpses of it than we have in the past. But still, you know, night in and night out, not necessarily there. So that was good. Thomas is trying to make the most of this opportunity. Now, I mean, he had a bad weekend or at least bad Sunday in New York, right? 0 for 5, 4 strikeouts. Came back and did well in this one. And Davey again said, like, they want to see him. And he he said, like, we've seen Victor. We know what he is at this point. Now, he then follows it up by saying he's still a big part of our future. But, you know, (laughs) there's a month to go. And Victor Robles has had all kinds of opportunities here. And I just wonder, where does this go from here with him? Are they essentially conceding at this point that he's not a part of the future? And if he spends the last month of the season essentially coming off the bench, like, what does that mean going into the offseason next year? I mean, is any value he has has been lost entirely. Who knows what his confidence is going to be like at that point and how they feel about him. And boy, I mean, if... We've got a lot of time to figure that one out, and there's there's still a month to go here. But there is a an avenue you could see this going down where like this is the end of the road for a guy who was supposed to be their number one prospect and a huge part of their future.
0: Yeah, I vehemently disagree with him not getting reps every game down the stretch of this season or close to that. That was kind of the whole idea with these final two months and that they abandoned that before the end of the first month of that two-month stretch. I just don't agree with. Also, if they do part ways with him, they better pray to the baseball gods that he does not blossom elsewhere because that is not going to be a good look. If this is a Lucas Giolito situation, that is not going to be a good look that this guy erupts somewhere else. I've made the comp to Byron Buxton. There are some guys who take a while to get going offensively. It's frustrating. I get it. But Robles profiles is a Buxton type, right? Good defensively, similar games. I'm not saying, I mean, maybe Robles never, maybe he never becomes a good hitter. I understand that. But like not everyone is Soto. So sometimes you have to wait it out. And just the complete refusal to wait it out is, uh, I don't know, it's a little frustrating, especially in a season like this, which is a lost season. But to your point about the Nationals perhaps having tapped out on Robles, so obviously the actions convey that. But I thought it was interesting in a recent broadcast on Masson, Bob Carpenter brought up the idea of having to potentially address leadoff hitter this offseason. And, you know, Bob is a guy who usually plays it down the middle. And, you know, he's not going to opine on things like this necessarily. He will, and he certainly can, but, you know, he doesn't choose to do so often. But when a guy like Bob says that, it seems to me that's sort of an educated opinion. And I don't know if he's been told anything or not, but that stands out to me that someone like Bob says that, that even he's kind of like, yeah, they may well have to do something about a leadoff batter for next season. So. This could be it. I mean, it, it it does kind of feel like it is it that the guy you got for John Lester has overtaken you as the everyday center fielder and leadoff batter. It's incredible. And, it, and it's a mystery. I think there are a lot of questions here. What happened to Robles' power? In 19 home runs in 2019. What happened to that? Where did all of that go? It just disappeared over these last few years. And uh, is, is there stuff behind the scenes we don't know about? Or is he just not a mature hitter? And it's as simple as that. And we don't have the answer to that right now.
1: No, we don't. And it is a mystery. And, you know, if it is proving to be the end, maybe we'll start to dig a little deeper into what exactly happened there. I mean, you know, we're not talking that long ago that he was considered even better than Soto in terms of a complete player prospect. Obviously, things don't always work out the way they're supposed to like that. But here's the thing about the leadoff thing. Even if Robles, you know, is still part of this team moving forward, even if he still is their center fielder, I would venture to guess that they're not going to go into next season counting on him to be their leadoff hitter. No. You know, he might be back in the eighth spot again. So who is? And the answer is probably nobody who's currently with them profiles for that spot. I don't think Luis Garcia is the guy either. And, you know, his numbers haven't exactly been great either. and Certainly not not a lot of consistency there. So as they do look to what they're going to do this offseason, I'll be interested to see if there are some calculated moves made to get some you know, certified big leaguers at a couple of positions, not as long term solutions, but as short term solutions to help bridge the gap until they're ready to start winning. And that may have to be part of the equation is somebody who can lead off for you.
0: Yeah, I said 19 homers for Robles two years ago was 17, but you get the idea. He hit for some power in 2019. He has not done that over these last few years. You mentioned Luis Garcia. I hit on this on the last installment of the podcast. Luis Garcia has an OPS of 604 on the year. Robles' is is 6.05. So Garcia so far has been Robles. Now, obviously, Luis is just getting going here, but he's not a sure thing. And the fact that they would keep calling him up and sending him down, the fact that his overall minor league offensive numbers weren't that great, I know he did better more recently prior to being summoned to the major league level this time, like it's, it's not a sure thing. Like he just might be a backup infielder. He might not be an everyday second baseman. So, you know, there's still some stuff to be determined with him. Someone who we know can hit is Juan Soto. He got on base three more times on Monday night, two walks to go with a double. I I just find it incredible. This guy's barely seeing stuff to hit and he is putting up really MVP caliber numbers. If the Nationals were a better team, he would get more run as an MVP candidate. It's unfortunate that that's the way that that award still can kind of work of If your team isn't very good, it's hard for you to win the award. And look, there are other, I think, more deserving candidates this year in the National League, but he'd be in the conversation more is my point. The guy has a major league leading on base percentage now of 442. He has a major league leading 104 walks on the year. It it gets kind of repetitive with him, but this really is remarkable. And if you go by something like OPS Plus and you sort of put aside last season because it was the shortened season, This is actually his best season as a major league hitter. Like if you just go buy something like that, that's pretty remarkable. Like for all the sort of nits to pick we've had, if he's not hitting for power, you know, he he goes in these funks where he doesn't hit home runs, he's having a great season.
1: And that's the amazing thing now is that he's not having, you know, just just to the eye test and, and the way he feels and the way everyone feels about him, he's not having his best season. And so there is still more there. And that's the scary thing is that if he could combine the patience and the discipline that he's showing with just a little bit more power and a little more launch angle, oh my God, what he could be. That'll be something I think for him in the off season to really focus on and and a goal for next year is just to start hitting the ball in the air more. Everything else will take care of itself and uh, you know, watch out for what what he might accomplish. As someone who votes for these things, I can tell you a lot of times I personally try not to pay that close of attention to it until the last few weeks because they don't want to go into it with too much of a, a preconceived notion of who should be the MVP or Cy Young and that stuff or not. So if he keeps this up, he will be in the conversation. Now, he may not get first place votes, but he'll get top 5 votes for sure with the kind of on-base and slugging and OPS and everything else that he's going to put together, the improved defense on top of it all. People around the sport know how good he is and he will get some some play and, and it also occurs to me, you know who could end up being very much in the conversation for MVP. And that is Trey Turner.
0: Yeah, he's had a big year. No one's saying otherwise. No one's saying otherwise. With Soto, the point I was making about OPS Plus, so entering games on Monday, it was at 165 on the year. Now, he had a 220 OPS Plus last year. Again, though, uh, that was in the shortened season. And remember, for him, it was even uh, a shorter season because of the COVID-19 thing. So he only played at 47 games last year. But his OPS Plus in 2018 was 142, 2019, 143. Excellent numbers, but they aren't 165, which is what he was at entering play on Monday night. So, like, quantifiably, this is the best true season of his career just as a batter. We mentioned the improved fielding. He's playing a more important defensive position in right field. Uh, I give Juan Soto a lot of credit. Sneaky good night for the Nats bullpen, I thought, on uh, Monday night. I mean, Josiah Gray obviously doesn't last long, and Patrick Murphy did give up the home run to Brad Miller, but Murphy, Ryan Harper, Andres Machado combined to allow one run in five innings. So it was nice to see that. Hey, guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook. Promo code chat. Games on Tuesday night include Pittsburgh at the White Sox at 810. The former Nats prospect, Lucas Giolito, is starting. He's been good, though not great this season, but we will ride him against the Lowly Pirates.
4: 21 plus and present in present, Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk free bet. Refund issued is non withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at com. Gambling problem, call 1 100 522 in Colorado. 1 100 bets off in Iowa. One hundred nine, with it, Indiana, One hundred two, seven zero, seven one one seven 7117 for confidential Help in Michigan, 100 Gambler, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, 1 or in West Virginia, visit
1: www.1800gambler.net. Hey, Nats fans, this is Eric Bramer, play by play broadcaster for the Fredericksburg Nationals. Time is running out to see the Fred Nats in their inaugural 2021 season at beautiful new Fred Nats ballpark. With promotions every night of the week and a talented roster that includes Jackson Rutledge, Jeremy De La Rosa, Brandon Bossier, Jordi Barley, and many more, the time's never been better to see tomorrow's Washington National stars today. Visit frednats.com for ticket information and follow us on social media at FXBGNats for the latest updates.
0: Game 2 against the Phillies at Nationals Park Tuesday night at 7.05. Are you ready to buckle your safety belt? Because the ride that is Patrick Corbin is calling all riders, uh, get ready to get on board. Round and round, the Ferris wheel will go, where it will stop, who the heck knows. But Corbin was so good in that game against the Morelands two outings ago, was so bad in his most recent outing, that just made you feel like maybe this guy never gets right. And uh now, well, we'll see what ends up happening with old Corby on Tuesday night against the Phillies.
1: Here's the only thing I'll say about that. They need innings. I mean, their starters are not providing depth, you know, length at all in these games. They haven't had any off days. They have one coming up on Thursday, although the forecast is so bad Wednesday that that may automatically have to push the series finale to Thursday. We're going to get the remnants of the hurricane up here on Wednesday. They need innings from Patrick Corbin, and this may be one of those. Let's see how it plays out. But it may be one of those where even if he's given up runs, even if he's getting beat up a little bit, they have to leave him in there through at least five because this bullpen is getting burned up. Uh, if it hasn't already, and somebody's got to provide some depth for them out of the rotation uh, and take some pressure off the relievers. Patrick
0: Corbin is last outing, 7-5 loss at the Miami Marlins last Thursday night, six runs in three innings. Again, he struggled again against a bad hitting team. Worst ERA in the majors among qualified pitchers, six He's got to figure this out. The team has got to figure this out. Maybe we see some signs of hope on Tuesday night, but I don't think anyone's holding their breath at this point. You can always email the Nats Chat Podcast, podcast at gmail.com. Email from Wayne Hudson. He writes, I have noticed that Ted Lerner hasn't been in his usual seat in the front row, just to the first base side of home plate. I hope he isn't ill. Maybe he is scouting in the minors. Uh, have you seen Ted at games this year? I would think with the COVID-19 pandemic, that may be a reason for him not having been in that spot.
1: Yeah. And Ted never sits in the front row. Mark normally sits in the front row.
0: Okay. Maybe that's who we met.
1: Ted, who's 95 years old now. In the past, he has come to a lot of games, but it's always in the owner's booth up on the suite level. Mark is traditionally seen down there in the front row. I have seen him some this year. Um, I can assure you they do not go scouting <laughs> for anyone that they leave that job to Mike Rizzo and their people. Ted's biggest contribution at this point is, I mean, in addition to obviously sitting in on the board meetings and everything, he usually meets every off season with Scott Boris. Ted and Annette have a place in Palm Springs and Boris, who's based out of Orange County, they always get together every uh, December or July to go over some stuff. And so I would imagine that there will be another uh, get-together this winter in which Juan Soto's name may perhaps come up, and we'll see how that one goes.
0: So does Mark sit in on those meetings or just Ted?
1: Uh, those ones may actually be with Ted. And I mean, you know, this isn't to say that Mark isn't obviously involved in everything that goes on. He is officially the point man now, the designated principal owner of the team. But I know that Ted Lerner and Scott Boris have developed a relationship over the years. As long as Ted was the guy in charge those kind of meetings typically were Ted and Scott, and then they would pass it along to the others about what happened from it. But when it really came down to the big stuff, that was Ted and Scott, at least while Ted was still officially the principal owner of the team.
0: Yeah. I remember that meeting in the Bryce Harper free agency off season, but I was, yeah, that's why I asked that question because it was years ago now that Mark became the managing principal owner. And you would think that Mark would be in on those meetings, but I guess we don't know. One day I'd love to know we, we need to do like there needs to do a t- be a tell all book about the Boris Lerner's relationship, the meetings, the tales that could be told. We can only imagine the things that have been said and discussed in those meetings. But we don't have that information, at least not yet. At some point, maybe we will. Well, you tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast natschatpodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to tell your tale of October 2019, how you experienced the Nationals run. To a World Series championship, you can record yourself in your smartphone and then email that file to us. We've had a lot of fun playing those tales of October 2019 recently. Again, the email address, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a NatsChat Podcast t shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on NatsChat are courtesy of 1067, the fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nat Chat Podcast, and we leave you with this voice memo from Kevin in Denver.
5: Hi, uh, my name is Kevin Rush, and uh, while I live in Denver now, I grew up in Alexandria tolerating the Orioles. My ex and I bought season tickets for the Nationals in December 2004, a couple of days after we'd heard they'd moved from, or were going to move from Montreal, and we made the best group of friends while sitting in Section 406, all the other people that we had never met until uh, 2005, but uh, we're put in that section with us. We booed Vinny Castilla getting plunked on opening day so that he couldn't get the cycle. Uh, we chanted, let's go, new guy, when Marlon Byrd had his first at bat for the Nationals. Uh, we saw Ramon Ortiz hit that homer eight innings into a no-hitter. Um, <laughs> we tried to change the topic anytime anybody ever mentioned the Natinals jersey. Uh, and, of course, we've seen lots and lots of Zim walk-offs. In the 15 years since then, uh, most of us have moved on one way or another, moved around the country and so on. And in 2019, we started a group text message uh, thread. Uh, sometime around the wild card game, we started getting more excited with every win and more despondent with every loss. And after the third game of the NLCS, you know things were looking pretty good, and but none of us wanted to um, mention any sort of you know take a risk of jinxing anything so we started talking about how we might have to fly to dc to quote check out the smithsonian unquote but within an hour after clinching the nlcs uh, all of us had flights to dc uh and all of us had acquired some kind of tickets to the third game of the world series uh five of us flew in from portland vancouver denver boulder um and about 10 more of us who were in that gang who had still lived in the D.C. area, uh, all hung out together the day of Game 3. Um, we couldn't care less that we lost that game. Um, and while winning Game 7 made me the— that was my happiest moment as a D.C. sports fan since John Riggins ran over that guy in Super Bowl Seventeen. The joy of being with my friends as we savored having a World Series game in our hometown is something that I don't think is— ever going to top that for me so that's my 2019 memory and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it
0: Frankie
3: coming set he deals swinging a ground ball off the glove of the diving third baseman Bregman and down the line headed toward the corner this one goes all the way to the corner center racing for third is going to try to score he will Robles digging for third he slides in with a triple Nationals are on the board here in the fourth inning Robles lashed that one by and off the glove of Bregman all the way into the left field corner. It's now the Astros 2
4: and the Nationals 1. And the Nationals fans are on their feet and they love it.